Well, the efforts to rebuild the community of Lytton ahead of the one-year anniversary tomorrow, a premier announces he's stepping away. There was a violent incident uh, in uh, Victoria, just a little bit outside Victoria in a tiny, in a suburb called Saanich yesterday. Uh, and uh, David Eby, the Attorney General of, uh, of BC, who's in fact one of the front runners right now to replace John Horgan when he leaves as premier or leaves as leader of the NDP, made a big announcement today about uh, a settlement with Purdue Pharma Canada uh, over the recuperation of health costs. To discuss it all, I'm happy to welcome Katie DeRosa, who's the legislative quarter, uh, reporter for the Vancouver Sun and the province. She's here in Victoria. Thank you so much for your time tonight, Katie. Hi. As you said, yes, a, a lot going on. So thanks for There's, having me. Yeah, there is an awful lot to talk about. I guess ahead of the one-year anniversary of Lytton tomorrow, I know this has been an, uh, you know, something that the government has struggled a bit with, both federally and provincially, to be honest, to try and show momentum and trying to get that rebuild going. Just from a provincial perspective, from a government perspective, what have some of the hung- hang-ups been uh, as far as trying to get the pace of that recovery moving along a little faster? We hear a lot of frustration from people who've lived there. I think for sure that uh, the, some of the delays have been uh, archaeolog- uh, archaeological protections as well as rebuilding on a First Nation site, insurance. Uh, I mean, the government has cited a lot of delays, but I think that that is really not any comfort to individuals who've been out of their community for a year, uh, you know, who've been displaced and who can't really move on until there's progress on uh, basically rebuilding. So, you know, there's there have been delays and it hasn't gone as quickly as, as uh, people would like. And uh, and that's very painful for them. So Minister Farnworth is going to be in Lytton tomorrow. And I think he will hear that from from residents. But I think, again, also uh, cite the provincial and federal dollars that have been committed to uh, eventually rebuilding. But again, I think there will be he will hear frustration at the pace of it. Yeah, about $100 million from both levels of government have been committed. What, what are your memories of, uh, were you there last year when, when this all unfolded? Because I, I have memories of Mike Farnworth having to stand in front of the public safety minister, having to sort of try to give people an update about what was happening in a relatively remote place. Um, I was not uh, reporting at the time. I was off on maternity leave, but oh, I was right, obviously following it as everyone else was. The horrific scenes of, you know, flames just ripping through communities. And, you know, I, of course, the government has came under fire for not doing enough uh, public alerting. So now, obviously, the public alert system will include extreme weather. It will include wildfires. And I think there's more of an expectation that uh, people are expecting the government to use that public alert system uh, more readily. Uh, Obviously, more money as well for ambulance paramedics, because during the heat dome, there were horrific waits for ambulances uh, and paramedics, uh, paramedic response. So, uh, you know, Health Minister Adrian Dix has also promised that that will improve. So, again, I think that the government was trying to learn some of the lessons of the failings. But, you know, with 619 heat-related deaths for that heat dome, I mean, that is, uh, those numbers are pretty stark. So, I uh, some tough lessons and, unfortunately, uh, you know, just horrific that the individuals had to die with that kind of heat. So, uh, I don't think the, even the coroner's report put the spotlight back on that. And, uh, again, the, the government was very quick to um, uh, respond with those alerts. Yeah, it's been a tough year for the, I mean, 2021 was a tough year for British Columbia. It'd be a tough year to be in charge of the response to it too. We had the heat wave, then we had uh, the fire in Lytton, of course, then there was the atmospheric rivers, the flooding. Uh, I imagine at the legislature, it has been a real wake-up call about 
just the kind of uh, measures that have to be put in place to try to protect a population that was perhaps a lot more vulnerable uh, than anybody expected, even though the reports were out there warning of these vulnerabilities. Yes, <laughs> excuse me. I think, um, I, again, what's changed this year noticeably is that almost every week there are weekly updates from fire officials, from flood uh, flood experts, uh, even just talking about, like, looking at what happened in the Sumas Valley in November. So I think, again, the government is trying its best to ramp up that communication so that individuals are aware of any incoming uh, heat or, or flooding events. So, uh, you know, again, tough lessons that had to be learned. I know that Mike Farnworth will will, will talk about I mean, what happened in Saanich yesterday. So both uh, Katie and I are, are in Victoria. We both used to work in local Victoria uh, news outlets. So we both know our Victoria, just how rare uh, acts of gun gun violence in this, in this area are. Mike Farnworth, again, was speaking out about that today, the public safety ministry yesterday and today. Um, here is Saanich's police chief talking about uh, multiple explosive devices that were found in a vehicle connected to two suspects who were gunned down outside a bank uh, in the town of Saanich, a Bank of Montreal branch. Uh, six officers were hurt, shot. A few of them remain in hospital tonight. Uh, here is Dean Duthie uh, with the latest on that investigation. Explosive devices were discovered during the incident in a vehicle associated to the suspects. Homes and businesses in close proximity to the, to the scene of the incident had to be evacuated for safety, while the BC RCMP Provincial Explosive Disposal Unit, known as EDU, attended to address the devices. Early this afternoon, the explosive devices were transported to Heartland Landfill Facility by EDU and safely destroyed. Uh, that was uh, Chief Constable Dean Duffy there of Saanich Police explaining the aftermath of what happened yesterday. Katie, just from a, from a Vancouver Island perspective, by a Canadian standards, a very violent incident, but we still don't know much about what exactly unfolded or who the suspects are. Um, I, you know, again, today there was uh, w- there were witnesses that came forward. They spoke with several media outlets. Uh, one of the, the a woman who was in the bank when it was being held hostage, and just horrific scenes of what she described. You know, two men with uh, body armor and and really um, assault rifles uh, to come asking for the keys to the vault. So, I mean, really something out of a movie, which you do not want to see in any community. Uh, just horrific that that six officers have been injured, including one who's in uh, in ICU. So, uh, just you know, shocking really for for any community. Um, and I think right now the community is trying to support the police officers as best they can. Uh, obviously, there's going to be an independent investigations office into the two suspects as as they were shot and killed. But the, uh, the explosive devices as well, uh, you know, really not that much information coming out about what the sources, uh, uh, you know, whether they were in the vehicles, whether they were going to detonate. I mean, really, really uh, uh, concerning and just traumatic uh, for anyone who was there yesterday. Yeah, and for listeners who don't know, this is a pretty, I mean, although a busy street, this is a pretty quiet part of, uh, I mean, the greater Victoria area is pretty quiet, period, and that is a pretty quiet area, part of of, of quiet Victoria, despite uh, it being a fairly high traffic area. Lots of uh, lots of support coming out, though, today that we saw from police forces across the country, uh, the Prime Minister and so forth, for uh, those injured police officers. Always good to see. Definitely. I, you know, I think uh, any time... Police officers are injured. People are people. Officers across the country are going to be rallying and uh, you know 
basically showing their support. Uh, it is it is a, a very difficult job, especially the emergency response team. It sounded like they were on scene you know, as as fast as possible. I think I heard reported that they were actually close by for another call. So they were very ready to respond. And, uh, you know, they definitely saved lives. I know that you were busy yesterday working on another very big story, which was uh, the Premier of British Columbia announcing that he will be stepping away from his job uh, in the fall at some point, as soon as they uh, get together and have a name a new leader. Uh, and we'll talk a bit about uh, the fallout from that, because there's already been speculation about who might step into John Horgan's shoes. Uh, we'll get to that right after this. I'm not able to make another six-year commitment to this job. And as a result, I've asked Darren Shumahetsa, the president of the BCNDP, Uh, to work with our governing body, the Provincial Council and the Executive, to select a date in in the fall for a leadership convention. Well, Katie, you're a legislative reporter. Uh, Katie DeRosa of the uh, Vancouver Sun and the province is with us this half hour. That's always a a big story. I guess it wasn't unexpected, but uh, did it catch you off guard at all in terms of the timing? Yeah, Ben, I think people were expecting that the Premier would not run for a third term because, uh, you know, he often talked about being tired, jumping into the pool too early after his radiation treatment for throat cancer and in in, uh, in April his, his bout with uh, COVID. Uh, so obviously those would, uh, you know, make you think twice about your, your future and whether it's time to retire. He's going to be 63 in the summer. But I think the timing actually was a shock because in two weeks, the premiers welcoming the Council of the Federation, uh, all the premiers uh, of the provinces and territories to Victoria. He is the chair of the council and he will be pushing uh, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau for increased health transfers in order to address the, the doctor shortage and the, the shortage of healthcare workers that have closed some emergency rooms temporarily. So, uh, you know, the thought was that he would perhaps wait after uh, till, until after that meeting, but he said that he'd been getting questions about whether he was going to stay on, and he just could not pretend that that uh, he wanted to give an honest answer. Uh, so he gave uh, quite a, a poetic anecdote of, of he and his wife Ellie sitting uh, on Otter Point uh, on Vancouver Island watching the otters play in the water, and he said, uh, you know, I'd like to do a little more playing and a little less working. So, uh, you know, classic uh, classic John Horgan uh, uh, telling a tale, uh, you know, to hit nod to his Irish heritage, and just connecting with, with the everyman like he does. I think that story could make anyone say, yeah, you've been in this job, you've been in MLA for 17 years, uh, and, and it seemed like the right time to go. So I think a, a lot of, um, of his close political allies commended him for, for the timing and just for the honesty of uh, knowing when to bow out, which is really at the height of his career. Yeah, I, w- I was I was saying yesterday, Pierre Trudeau went for his walk in the snow and John Horgan went for a walk on the beach and saw some otters playing and thought that looks like more fun than, I mean, he, he has worked, he is a hard worker. So I can imagine that not being able to give 100% would be enough. And also the idea of if he were to win again uh, and then serve another term, which is not unlikely given the way the polls are, are showing right now, I mean, he would be in his late 60s. Uh, by the time the next term, uh, even if he served half the term, he'd already be past retirement age, so to speak. So uh, this was a time, I guess, for him to make this decision. It, I guess you're right. It's just it was surprising that he made it when when he did, because it was a bit earlier than expected. Today, I know I noticed that you filed a story on who may be his replacement. And uh, 
there seems to be a lot of uh, noise around or a lot of chatter around a certain attorney general, David Eby. Yes, I think that uh, obviously people are going to be asking that question. Uh, you know, the speculation is ending around the premier's future, but now a new round of speculation is beginning uh, on his successor. Uh, Attorney General David Eby is kind of like mix, Mr. Fix-It, you know. ICBC is a dumpster fire. Here, take it. Uh, you know, housing is, we don't have enough affordable housing. Here, go tell the, the local mayors to hit, to approve more funding, or, or more funding for uh, affordable, not funding, sorry, uh, approve um, uh, affordable housing buildings on their land. Uh, obviously, money laundering issue. So, uh, Minister Eby has been uh, the... I guess uh, they, he's been the go-to for some of the uh, some of Horgan's toughest files, and so he's obviously built the political clout. Uh, so I think it's it's obviously uh, no question that he is thought to be a very very strong candidate. Uh, Jobs Minister Ravi Kalan is also a um, uh, a name being floated floated around because of his role in leading the economic recovery following the pandemic. Uh, Finance Minister Selena Robinson, who was also previously Housing Minister. Um, uh, Minister of Municipal Affairs, Nathan Cullen. So there's a lot of names floating around, but I think uh, Minister E.B. definitely uh, has the largest profile right now. And yet the fixers in government never tend to be the greatest leaders for some reason, because they're really good at the machinations of government and tackling these really difficult subjects. Uh, But if you look at someone like John Horgan, he tended to do it it with a slightly different different approach. I gather he's going to be tough to replace. Speaking of David Eby, uh, he made a really fascinating statement today. We covered it off the top of the show, uh, but he announced today a $150 million settlement with Purdue Pharma Canada uh, that had been reached for the recovery of healthcare costs. Let's have a listen. We expect and hope that this settlement with Purdue Canada will lead to settlements, further settlements, to recover provincial health care costs. This is one step among many that our government is taking to ensure that we are addressing the overdose crisis on every front. Yeah, that was a really interesting uh, announcement today. I know you attended the press conference that he uh, where he announced this. So essentially, the deal is with Purdue Pharma Canada, only it's part of a much larger lawsuit against many different companies, pharmaceutical companies. Uh, but this seems like a good first step. How did he describe it, this $150 million settlement? Um, and Minister Eby said it was the largest such settlement that a uh, Canadian province has reached around um, health care uh, costs. Uh, however, many have pointed out uh, it's it's on behalf of all all provinces in Canada. So, 150 million divided by all the provinces, considering the toll that the opioid crisis has had on not just British Columbia but the entire country. I mean that number is is really a drop in the bucket so uh, however i think the minister said it puts the other pharmaceutical companies on notice that they cannot mischaracterize uh, their products they cannot uh, promote uh, opioids uh, irresponsibly knowing the level of addiction that they carry so i guess he's saying it's a good first start and again it's another example of uh, you know british columbia taking the lead on a very um a complex, complex file. I, I know in, in the United States, states have sued uh, pharmaceutical companies as well. So we may see other settlements happen if they see the writing on the wall uh, and they see, okay, well, Purdue settled. It's unlikely that we will win. Uh, so we'll go with the settlement. So maybe the, the figure uh, will, will be higher. Um, but again, the minister said, no amount of money can can bring back individuals who died of illicit uh, or of opioid overdoses. So it is really small comfort to any family member who has lost someone. 
Yeah, absolutely. And and just and you're right, just a drop in the bucket compared to the overall cost. And the overall lawsuits that have been filed are, are, are in the billions, not in the millions. I did hear something interesting from the lawyer who's handling uh, the class action cost recovery litigation for BC, who I spoke to earlier in the show, uh, Radar Mogerman, who said that one of the benefits here is that they will have access to some of the documentation that uh, Purdue Pharma Canada would have had. So they have sort of a, there will be meetings there where they'll get to see some of the evidence uh, in this case. So that may help them uh, with others. But um, but yeah, certainly, certainly a good First step, I guess the government's still under a lot of, when it comes to the opioid crisis, the response has been a tough one. And uh, any measure of success that they can point to is no doubt something they want to uh, to trumpet at least a little bit. Yeah, I think the, the, latest, um, the latest step was the federal government approving BC's exemption from the Controlled Dr- Drugs and Substances Act, which effectu- effectively dr- decriminalizes uh, certain hard drugs, uh, such as uh, opioids and um, and uh, methamphetamine in British Columbia. But again, that was not without criticism because the amounts that were decriminalized were so small, uh, much smaller that, than BC had even asked for, uh, smaller than advocates were asking for. Um, and so they were saying that you know, individuals who maybe carry a two or three day supply of of hard drugs with them, they could still be criminalized if they were found with with those drugs. And therefore, it still adds to the stigma of of, you know, an individual not perhaps not willing to get help because they're afraid they'll be, uh, you know, arrested by police. So um, that's that was the latest, I guess, step that the province took towards destigmatization, but a lot of critics are saying more needs to be done on expanding safe supply and uh, and that being a, a, a major inroad for, for individuals to, to manage their addiction and, and not basically die of illicit substances, uh, illicit drug toxicity. Well, Katie DeRosa, thank you so much for covering so many topics. I hope you have a quieter Thursday, but uh, you never know these days. Uh, this has been a busy week for you. I appreciate your time tonight. Thank you, Ben. Nice talking to you.